Hey everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. How high will U.S. yields go? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Mish Schneider, Chief Strategist at Market Gauge. Hi, Mish. It's great to see you. Hi, Maggie. Great to see you and crew behind you. Exactly. Uh, Brian and Nick are in the house today, uh, as always. So uh, very some very interesting action. It's been an interesting week, really, but we saw... It's kind of been the the trend. We once again had global sell-off in gold, uh, government bonds, the U.S. 10-year climbing above 4.30 for a short period. But that was the highest level since about October 2022. U.S. stocks in the red again today. And once again, it looks like they're ending, they're sort of selling into the close. They're sort of ending at the weakest points. With the Philly Fed index show an uptick in manufacturing activity in August, weekly jobless claims fell, and those Fed minutes, which I think got things going here in the afternoon, show the central bank still concerned about inflation. So when you look at all of the things you track, Mish, where are we in terms of growth and inflation? Well, great question. I mean, obviously, the uh, rates are the first thing to talk about. So this move that we've had since 2022, if we look at it in terms of cycles of two years, in the end of 2019, it was pretty obvious that with the rates being so close to zero, and then, of course, COVID and them going to zero, that it might take a couple of years to see the impact of that type of loose economic policy, which of course went back 40 years, but real more recently. And then that's what we saw in 2021 was a huge spike of inflation with it peaking in 2022. So when the Fed got super aggressive in 2022 in raising the rates, and here we are now in 2023 entering the second half of the year, I would say that regardless of whether we're near the top or we have a little bit more to go, We don't really know yet what the economic impact of that is going to be. And if we put it logically with sort of a two-year cycle, we may not necessarily really know that impact into 2024. Mm -hmm. So as far as the markets are concerned and inflation, even though we can certainly support, and there are plenty of people out there thinking deflation, and they may at some point be right, but at this point, the emergence or what we're calling the wave three of inflation is here, not in all pockets. And the big question in terms of inflation going forward is, if we had some kind of a huge inflationary spike from here, it would probably be because of something really devastating. So apart from some level of devastation, whether it be natural or geopolitical or what have you, we have to assume that we have kind of peaked in inflation. We don't know, although we're still inflationary, and we'll talk about that more. We have to assume that in terms of economic growth, some of the impact and the growth that we've seen lately might be a little bit lagging and how much is going to happen now once things really sink into the rates. 
Mm-hmm. And then, of course, what happens from here in terms of the job market, which is still so strong, as you mentioned, the housing market, which everybody's expected a crash hasn't happened. And, uh, you know, in terms of the overall market, it's probably the least to do with the economy than anything. It got overbought. And now we'll see whether or not it's nearing support getting oversold. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. We're going to we're going to talk about some of that, some of the sort of you know market mechanisms in a minute. You mentioned wages. So this has been interesting because as we've been making our way through the summer news cycle, uh, we're facing a potential auto strike. Uh, we know that there was a, a Teamsters, you know, you've seen some union action. We keep seeing tight labor markets. Um, I know you're looking at wages. What What's going on there? Because we know the Fed's watching that as well. Well, again, from a logical standpoint, you have to wonder even though there's still supposedly a lot of money around and, and, and another new source of money has been people who have so much equity in their homes, whether or not they decide to actually take some of that equity out for cash remains to be seen. But we know credit card debt is high. So you've got inflation still really high, particularly in the two areas that people need more than anything, which is food and energy. And we can put shelter in that. And at the same time, we have interest rates and mortgage rates at also real high levels. And you have to say, how much money are people willing to to, to do in terms of work if they cannot make wages that keep somewhat in line with the cost of inflation? So that's why you're starting to see a lot of unrest and a lot of strike talk. I mean, obviously, the UPS strike was something that we heard about a couple of weeks ago and it got resolved. But UPS drivers, or was that FedEx drivers? I forget, one of the drivers. It was UPS, yeah. Yeah, $170,000 a year for a UPS driver. And and that is no judgment. That is just, you know, a rich salary. So we'll see what happens with the car makers. But how much does it trickle going forward, uh, I think is certainly something we have to keep an eye on. And how much can you squeeze people if they're feeling it from two ways, from rates and also from inflation? And feeling the government is spending a lot of money, but not necessarily on them. So do do you feel like wages have peaked or because people are getting hit with inflation and with higher rates, we're going to see that upward pressure stay in terms of what they're asking for? I mean, you know, whether whether layoffs change that or not, what are you seeing in terms of the price pressures from wages? Well, I think in some areas they may have peaked. And this is where the whole conversation of automation and, and, and AI come into play where there could be an efficiency factor there going forward. But other areas where you absolutely need people to work, I don't think that wages have peaked there because these companies are desperate for people to work these jobs. And um, and people are getting paid more and more for some jobs that, you know, a few years ago, even in the, in the, in the more entertainment and restaurant business than would have ever been imagined a few years ago. So... It's complicated like everything else, but what's, I think the more important takeaway is not necessarily where wages might rise, where AI may become more efficient for working the working place. It's more like at what point, I always wonder at what point do people just say they're fed up? And I think we've been relatively complacent in this country, although we see ways that people revolt in in other areas like not necessarily going to work you know like obviously a lot of the violence the theft which has been out of control walmart reported their earnings great earnings they said i I forget what the number is but insane amount of theft going on and that's prevalent everywhere 
So there's quiet underpinnings of social unrest, and I keep my eye on that. That would not necessarily affect my trading decisions, but it's just something just from a human being living in this country I watch, while other countries have already experienced a lot of social unrest. Yeah, absolutely. And people have been talking about this. It's great to point it out because it is something that does tend to go on the back burner, but we're going to talk about it a lot more as we enter an election cycle here, the rise of populism, uh, the sense of disenfranchisement. If you, if, if, uh, you didn't get a chance, all of you, to catch the Twitter spaces the other night. This is exactly the kind of uh, topic they touched on, Mitch, social fragmentation and the sort of dangers and risks at that intersection of macroeconomics, geopolitics, and AI. Fascinating. And weather. And weather. And weather, yes. As Mish is suffering with no air conditioning <laughs> as she joins us today. She's yeah. literally on the hot seat. <laughs> no, but seriously, the heat and the and the persistence of the heat is also an impact on people's uh, personalities and emotions. So another factor. Yeah, and they and they and they can become market factors. So it's right for us to pay attention to that. So you mentioned, in addition to all of these sort of issues uh, on the economy, um, some of the other things that may be going on market-wise that are feeding into this, these moves we've seen. And this has been a common theme coming up this week, and we so appreciate all of you surfacing it um, because it's the kind of thing that you all watch with you, all of your charts and dashboards that maybe isn't always obvious to the rest of us. Um, and a lot of concern being expressed this week on the Daily Briefing that there's risk lurking underneath this market. Let's have a listen to some of the worries. On the tens and the thirties, we've got. It's becoming a bit of a crowded trade, so it doesn't mean it mm. can't go. It can't go further. This, this this short positioning by the hedge fund and the fast money community. But then, you know, inevitably, if it flashes out to those kind of levels, you know, tens and thirties going out to four and a half percent, it could really then come back just as viciously, and then we see a reversal back down to lower yields. We don't like for the equity markets. We have this giant CTA. Uh, long exposure. CTAs are just basically big trend following quant funds starting to get to levels in the lower 4,400 level where they would turn seller. And if we have a two standard deviation move on the downside, that flips about 250 billion for them to start selling. And they're just systematic. That will create uh, some real downside. So, you know, we're not there yet, but that's a risk. The most liquid markets, CMBS and CLO markets, are starting to hear that bid ask spreads are ginormous and that you can't even negotiate prices for, from those big players that want to sell. That's an alarm bell because it means the most liquid parts of the commercial real estate markets, they're not so liquid. And that can create all the negative consequences that we're familiar with the banking crisis, where it forces revaluation to take place. Therefore, you have, you have write-downs, funding difficulties that lead to fire sales, which lead to losses, which lead to all the negative consequences. So yeah, we need to be very concerned about the banking system, but it has nothing to do with rate hikes. It has everything to do with the economy. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. What, what a great synopsis. We really made all of us stand up and take notice. And also, they're talking about stocks and bonds, vulnerabilities everywhere, it seems, Mish. Well, we'll take, let's take a moment to talk about that because, um, and, and I'll comment on, on, on what they said because I have thoughts on all of that. But 
In terms of the stocks and bonds, there's two interesting areas to be watching. In terms of our own risk gauges, we look at the performance of the long bonds through the TLTs versus the SPY, versus the junk bonds. And we look, of course, at gold versus the SPY. We also look at utilities versus the SPY and, and, and also wood versus gold. And yet, so if you look at them all right now, they're still saying risk on. And that's incredible to me. But part of the reason is because you have the spies and the bonds dropping together, which is not a good situation. So I would say that in terms of the risk factors right now, um, as long as we start, we continue to see the S&P outperforming the TLTs or outperforming the gold or the junk bonds, even though they sold off a lot today, are still so well outperforming the long bonds. We can call this a technical correction because even though we've broken down under the 50-day moving averages in all of the indices, we have calendar ranges and we'll, and we'll get to that. I brought a lot of charts. But let's look at what, what the three gentlemen said. I mean, the first conversation about the banking crisis. Yeah. I mean, the banking crisis sort of came and went in March, right? And then at that point, by the way, the risk gauges were still positive as everybody was saying the market was going to crash. And of course, everything came back. That's why I like to use those risk gauges. I, I think, do we have that? Is that that chart you sent over the risk? I do. I do. Yeah. Let's take, let's take a look. If you could put that up, Brian, while we're talking. Yeah. Um, and I just want to, while you're doing that, take a sip of water, Mish, because you're literally roasting with us. But Oliver, I just want to go back and watch Jeff's. Oliver's saying, is there anyone that doesn't know CRE has issues? I know Mitch is going to touch on that, but go back and listen to what Jeff said. Everybody knows there's issues. He's not just talking about loan issues, problems with loans. He's talking about liquidity in certain parts of the market. And I believe his point was that he's worried that those liquidity issues carry more contagion than just individual players in the C CRE market. I'm not putting words in his mouth, but go back and listen a little more closely to what he said, because I think he was flagging something a little bit different in that. Okay, Mish, go ahead. Oh, yeah. And and, and that, let's, let's face it, that is a legitimate concern. I mean, there's a couple of things even beyond that, which is considering our debt situation, high interest rates are not great for paying off that debt. All the corporations that were borrowing and now have to refinance, refinancing at much higher interest rates, of course, that in some ways is a little bit of a relief because these are big corporations, but it does exactly that, give you concern about liquidity problems for companies that don't have the staying power with all of that. And all of these things are major concerns. One point that he did make, though, that I thought was interesting was that everybody's looking for this commercial real estate crash. So I just kind of had this crazy idea. Keith and I were on a little mini break for the last few days and we're walking around thinking, with AI as definitely the future and shelter has been a rising cost with rents going up and housing shortages are still there, supply is definitely a factor. Um, because who the hell wants to sell their house now, if, especially if they're locked in between three and four percent? And food, of course, being the other thing that people absolutely have to have. What if some of this commercial real estate actually, and of course it would have to be more corporate controlled, but hello, so is everything, um, turn that more into residential type rental places? And, you know, maybe, it, it, you know, what do they say? Necessity is the mother of invention. 
And so are they are, are companies that own these big commercial spaces are just going to allow them to sit. You know, for a while there was this let's make retail shopping an experience. Well, it didn't really go anywhere. Yeah, right? Harry, you've been talking about the trampoline parks. <laughs> exactly, it didn't every, go every anywhere. Retail that now has a, a, right. a trampoline park or a pickleball cart. Right, I'm I mean, there was about. a thing in Nordstrom's, you would, you're going to get a juice, you're going to get a coffee, you're going to sit, they're going to do fashion shows for you. Well, none of that happened. So, but, but it is possible that the commercial real estate can actually come to a bit of a rescue in terms of at least for rental units at this point. I mean, I just wanted to say that. It, yeah, it, some, some of them, there are some, uh, as someone who has a, a few engineers in the family, there are some issues about retooling some of them in terms of of the actual sort of, you know, mechanics of the building, I think. So some of them, yes, some of them, no, but you're right. There's an incentive for them to figure something out. You know, It's, it's possible. I'm not saying it's a given. I'm just, right. you know, it's just kind of a thought. Um, as far as, you know, the whole, uh, I thought Tommy Thornton was was interesting because, you know, he, he's a mean reversion guy and he's a contrarian because of the mean reversion. And he was looking at the bonds saying, basically, can they go more? And as viciously as they've come down, they can viciously turn. And I think that's really interesting. And, and, and so uh, what I saw today was a chart of the bonds versus the gold and that divergence between the gold prices, which yes, have sold off nine days in a row, which is you know the longest drop in gold in quite some time, which of course people would say gold is finished and maybe it is, who knows? But the point is, is that with the bonds down here and the gold up here, when you get those rubber band ratios, you know something's gonna give. So to, to Tommy Thornton's point, it is possible that it'll be the bonds which means that we're nearing the top of the yields, which means the bonds could come up. And the gold may not necessarily re react positively to that because the gold might not react because of higher inflation as a result of yields falling, but more like, well, that means that everybody's worried and there could be more recession around the corner. Or it could be that gold just falls and the bonds stay the same and you're with a higher for longer. We don't know. But I thought keeping your eye on bonds, especially as we talked about all these risk charts that I showed you here, is super important. And, you know, August is not a great time to push anyway. I just really should have started off by saying that. Mm -hmm. I, I rarely remember a good August. You're Top, absolutely right. Slow, volatility picks up on the lower volume, people are away. Um, so there's that. Now, the other point that I thought was really interesting that was made was about, and maybe this was Tommy Thornton, I don't remember which one who said what now, was about the um, idea that there's been so much buying in this market that we these levels that are being taken out could create uh, a liquid, liquidity or a liquidation yeah. of these huge firms that bought on the way from 440 or 4,400 up to 4,600. And now we're under 4,400 at what point? So I think it would be good to, to really look at the technicals here because um, there's something that we do that you don't hear a lot of talking about. One was the 23 month, which I was all about the 23 month for the first six months of the year. And that turned out to be great. Hughes took it out, semiconductors took it out, gold had already been above it as did silver, and I definitely want to have a moment to talk about silver. Uh, Russells were the last to go, and the Russells finally took it out. And now they are the only 
uh, index right now that or the Russells are all the only index. I say they because, you know, I always think in terms of people uh, that are back under the 23 month. But the Russells are the only one that's above this six month calendar range. So if we can take a look, put up the chart that's of uh, Q's. I think it's Q's and a couple of the and IWM. Yeah. So I, I think if we want to get some kind of a technical sense of where we're at, we should probably be looking here at these two vertical lines. One is green and one is red. Anyway, if we look at this chart, in terms of the January reset, we had everything clear, that January calendar range high, and we had this beautiful run for the first six months. It was not, it was not really weird to me that it was starting to peak out in June and July as we got into the new reset. So if you look at that first top chart, just looking at the cues, it got through the January calendar range high, but it never really quite clear it. And today, it's not completely updated because I sent these charts to you a few hours ago. It's actually below the uh, July now six month low. That's significant because that's exactly back to the point of that clip, which is if big institutional investors or even retail investors are looking at this and they've been hanging on waiting for some rebound and we don't get it, we don't get back through, say around that 360 or 362 in the queues, this could send it much lower. And that's just from a technical standpoint right there. You know, it's interesting. Let's talk about biotech for a second because it's been like totally sideways, right? And it is still above the six month calendar range. And a lot of people think that the next direction of AI is really going to be in the biotech state, but that's not really the interesting one. To me, the more interesting one is uh, the one that's uh, the T-bonds, the which you can see the TLTs. Look how that never cleared the uh, six month. You know what? This is really bad because I cannot see this. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Don't worry, Mish. Don't worry. This is we'll, right. we'll put them all out. We'll put them all out. Let me get. Let me jump into some questions. Okay. Um, let's questions while we do that, because and I can bring this up on my own. Yeah, bring it, bring it up on your thing. So, right. and we're going to jump around a little bit here. But um, so, uh, someone asking about the dollar. So I want to make sure because I want to make sure we get to the dollar silver. So it, it, definitely, you're worried about things breaking. The Nasdaq possibly did the downside. We already know you lightened up on that. Sounds like you think that treasuries could take a move higher, but watch out because the market's kind of primed for a fast move from positioning. What about the dollar? What do you think is going to happen with the dollar? Well, the dollar, um, again, has been somewhat of a flight to safety and had a really good bounce off of its critical lows. And right now the dollar is showing remarkable strength above 102.50 um, and it closed at 103.50. So I think that, you know, the dollar, to me of all the factors, I know people think commodities, the dollar, but there are certain commodities that don't really care very much about what the dollar's doing right now because of other factors. And, you know, some of them just to read are, even though corn and wheat's lower and gold's lower, soybeans are near the highs, Sugar is still in a range on the higher end. Cotton, cocoa, live cattle, all still strong. Obviously, oil uh, still very strong in the energy space. 
orange just continues to fly to new highs. So I don't know if I care so much about the dollar as I would if there wasn't really so many other things to think about right now. I'm much more concerned about um, the the impact of the rates, uh, and I'm much more concerned about the fact that if this Fed policy that was so behind the curve in terms of curbing inflation is now over aggressive in terms of controlling inflation, where some inflation might actually be good, particularly as we're talking about, as we mentioned before, the debt, and maybe runs the risk of some of these commodities running higher. But at the same time, you know, really, I keep going back to stagflation. And to me, the dollar may be a bit a part of that in the stagnating part, but it's not really doing what I would expect it to do yet to be a factor in inflation and in terms of bricks. I mean, that conversation is still out there, um, but nothing has really happened yet. So until we really start to see a, more of a trend, like particularly with petrodollars in that direction, I think the dollar is strong because it, 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 know the game in town. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you said Leon's asking what commodity market sector has the best, best fundamentals moving into 2024. So you just mentioned how high everything is. You have been sticking with DBA. Are you still sticking with it? And is there one commodity sector in particular that you're keen on? Wonderful question. So what I'm right now, we are long DBA because of some of these um, instruments that we just talked about, some of these raw materials we talked about, like live cattle and cotton and OJ and cocoa and sugar. These are soft commodities and some commodities that are in the DBA and even though DBA got back over 2,200 again, it, and now it's back down at 2,100, that's the nature of these things, right? And what really kind of, and, and, and by the way, you know, if we go back to history in the 70s, after all the commodities peaked in 76, and then the Fed got a little bit more relaxed, that's when we saw a second round. So if, 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 if we did see too much easing too fast, that could be a factor. But I'm looking at these things just because we still have supply chain issues. We still have drought issues. We still have some level of labor issues in that in a lot of these jobs, people don't really want to work them. Um, and we're still seeing these high prices. Clearly, that's, that's a factor. And we can get into China a little bit later, too. Yeah. The other area besides... Natural gas got beaten to a pulp, by the way. And one of the reasons why it got beaten to a pulp was because Europe had a much milder winter than expected, and they were able to increase their stockpiles of natural gas. And I know nobody gives a crap anymore about the Ukraine-Russia situation. But nonetheless, if Russia, if Russia, if Europe does not have as mild a winter, there has been conversation about short supply of natural gas, and it's so damn cheap. So it's on our radar, number one. It's been trading between 275 and three. Uh, and so if it gets back over three, I think that could be a really interesting. Um, oil, we're just long, but we've taken a lot of profits in oil. We actually are sitting with under 50% of a position with a trailing stop. So I wouldn't necessarily say this is the time to buy oil, but $80 a barrel, is a nice line in the sand. Mm. If it holds and starts to creep back up over 81, 82, it came off today and I think it tested 80 but closed above it. Maybe that's another opportunity. Um, and you know we've been long XLE and obviously energy has so well outperformed that could continue. 
But silver really caught my eye today. And that's why I wanted to talk about the silver chart because I'm going to pull up the silver chart here for myself so I can have it in front of me. Um, silver closed green. Interesting. By the way, steel, U.S. steel must have reported because that gapped up a few days ago and then when I was away and has been consolidating at pretty high levels. So that's showing that there's some demand there. If there's demand for steel, copper still looks pretty good. Lumber took a turn off the lows and is turning back up. So I thought silver was interesting because again, looking at that six month calendar range, it got right to the top of it in July, didn't get through it. And now it broke down underneath it for a couple of days and now today popped back above it. And it did have a mean reversion in terms of the real motion, which is our momentum indicator. So I'm looking at it, it's trading at around 2270 or so. I think if it gets back over 2350, $23.50 an ounce, um, that would probably get us long silver too. All the implications, it's really hard to talk about them so readily, like if this, then that, because all of the ratios and relationships have changed. Yeah, and, and, and it is consistently what we hear from people and through, uh, across the platform. It's one of the most difficult, Jeff Snyder said it yesterday, so confusing, so ambiguous, one of the most difficult macro situations out there. Want to squeeze two more in? We got to get you for an extended, Mish, because we're like barely scratching the surface. We try to oh, jam yeah. it in here, I, but, I, but I we have we have something to say too. about that in a minute yeah. too. But um, I want to get Dan's question in because, like, it's hilarious because I think you could probably answer it, whereas most of us have no idea what he's talking about. The McClellan oscillator is deeply oversold, a rare condition, foretelling market comeback shortly? Question mark. Another great question. Yeah. So the McClellan oscillator was actually a few weeks ago, the first to really signal that we were due for a correction in the market. So it's been, it was incredibly overbought even before that. Are we talking so fact, stocks when we say the market? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stocks. But, and so the fact that it's extremely oversold now is also interesting, especially Dan, if you put it with everything we just talked about, we've broken down under the six month calendar range lows, but we can easily pop back through. And the one index that did not was the Russell 2000, which actually at 182, if we look at IWM is where that sits. It's possible that if the IWM is the first one to turn green, we will see some of the McClellan oversold conditions wear off and we'll see some of the other indices following kind and get a nice little pop. How big a pop of course remains to be seen. But we also know that oversold can get more oversold. So it's that precarious right here. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why we're like looking at these six month calendar range. And by the way, the Russell's, the reason why I think you should look at the Russell is not only because it's still above its six month calendar range low while Q's and NASDAQ are not, it's also touched down, even though it's under its 50, it's 200 day moving average today too. So this 182 level is gonna be real key. And if we don't break it and we start to turn back up, uh, especially tomorrow, end of the week, uh, then yeah, I would say that we may see some of those oversold conditions. Now that's a far cry from being bullish, but we could at least get some kind of a relief rally after this huge down move. Yeah, and 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 you can sense a lot of people who who are just saying, you know, I have a narrative, but there's a short-term risk here. Things can move rapidly. A lot of people squaring up. Christopher, I saw your note in there. Uh, and, and, and getting into a little bit more of a position where they can 
sort of have some ammo to do something else. So they're not necessarily changing their mind, but they're maybe taking some some money off the table because that that's how sort of I think tough it is right now. Mish, want to finish off really quickly because we're actually out of time. I'm going to extend it a minute or two and ask you about China. We have had people bringing up China constantly on the platform. For those of you who aren't members, you know we're closed off right now, but we have a waiting list. Amazing conversation with Jeff Snyder, half hour after um, on the extended yesterday. Andreas Steno Signals is all about the yuan. Check it out. It dropped on the platform today. Raul and Julian did a pro macro insiders talk and they covered the whole globe. So I know a lot of people are looking at China. We've had a host of really negative headlines coming out on the Chinese economy and the yuan has really been moving. Is that on your radar, Mish? What are you thinking about that situation? Absolutely. And before I talk about China, I just have to definitely say Maggie. Vietnam, right? Was that my sleep? Yes, yes. So that that's up 25-30% because partly because I was seeing a downturn in China and an uptick in Vietnam from a lot of the fundamental reasons. So I just wanted to throw that in. Is that but still yeah. on your favorites? Is yeah, still I'm still in it. Again, I always take profits. You know, we're not we're not greedy. Uh when you get a 20-25% move in something, yeah, take some off the table and we're still in it. And we think if it dips down around 1450, looking at VNM, it probably would be a point where we might add. Um, it stopped right at a major resistance level of the 200 week moving average, but it still is projected out to be a real big growth country. You know, unlike North Korea, South Korea, Vietnam is North and South together now. So they have a lot of potential, but let's go to China because there was a couple of things about China. Yeah, so first of all, in terms of the FXI trade, we do have a mean reversion trade happening right now. So let's always start with the technicals. We held the six month calendar range low. Okay, that may seem like gibberish to a lot of people who don't really know about it. I have written extensively about the whole six month calendar range and the seasonality of it and why it's important. Number three is yes, with Yuan, the escalating intervention and the fact that China can do QE at will is something we cannot do. Um, and really the most important thing is regardless, and by the way, I saw Pippa uh, say that now China's talking about retaliation because mm-hmm. of all of the uh, restrictions that we are putting on with China. So forget about all that news. And we'll talk about just- that, by the way, tomorrow with David Matten. But we're gonna uh, talk about that, just a programming note. Um, Marco Papich is next Friday, folks, but David um, Matten is gonna be on Daily Briefing tomorrow. And we're gonna talk about the chips. Go ahead, Mesh. And, and, and by the way, China bought $5 billion worth of Nvidia chips which is also interesting because it's the AI chip. So they're planning to really, you know, they take a long-term view. But just looking at the chart, oh, by the way, what's interesting is the NVIDIA chips designed in the US, manufactured for these higher-end chips in Taiwan and South Korea. China does not produce higher-end chips either. So that kind of brings up the whole China-Taiwan thing again. Right, right. It's a whole other story. Okay, so just looking technically here, if we just go with the same thing, if this is going to hold up, if, if FXI, for example, is going to continue to hold here around this 26 to 27 level and starts to work its way back up, I would be looking at that and I'd be looking at Alibaba that had fabulous earnings, 14% increase in their retail sales, bottom lines on everything beat, but fell off with the rest of the market. Alibaba, another chart I gave you, is not only well above and better chart position than FXI at six month calendar range, 
But today is sitting right on its 50 and its 200. Same thing in, in the momentum indicator. So those are two areas that I would definitely watch and just turn off the noise and just look at what happens there. You would have a very low risk because you'd know right away if you were wrong. Yeah, fantastic. We're, I can't believe we got We got to have to leave it there. We're already over. Um, and I see the poll question in there. I like it. We'll do that, Joe, um, actually on air next time. Mish, you have been fantastic. We never have enough time for you. As I said, we barely scratched the surface. There's so much to talk about and you can talk about all of it. So that always makes it tricky for us, but we're in, in really tough market. So we appreciate you flagging all those levels. Um, by the way, uh, if you want more of Mish, we have a really, really great fun offer for you. We're going to show you a little bit about it in just a moment, but we appreciate you all. We'll see you tomorrow. Take care and good luck out there, everybody. Hi, everyone. If you'd like to hear more from Mish Schneider and get access to market gauge trading strategies, there's a 20% discount exclusively for the Real Vision community. As part of the package, you'll get trading education with Mish, scans for trade ideas, and monthly mentoring with Mish. To sign up, head over to www.realvision.com forward slash Mish. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, Head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.